Hey there folks, my name's Ian Loring, welcome to Cinerama for this week, hope you are doing well. Okay, reviews coming up this week include Titanic 2, as Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet set off on a voyage of negativity, shouting and trying to move to Paris in Sam Mendes's Revolutionary Road. And Michael Serra plays Michael Serra and Kat Dennings plays very, very cute in Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Also, movie news, a trailer talk special, having a look at the Super Bowl TV spots that have been released on the net this weekend, and a discussion on what is coming up on the next Cinerama Marathon. Okay, feedback is more than welcome. Please email cineramapodcast at yahoo.co.uk. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Ian Loring. That's all one word. Uh, the Rattle is having a redesign which launches uh, sometime around now, I'm thinking. So um, you'll be able to see my new prettied up writings at www.therattle.co.uk. Um and uh, reviews on iTunes, uber, uber appreciated. And it is a new month on Podcast Alley. Please, please, please vote. Already had one vote and it's only the 1st of February, which means I'm number 11 in TV and film, which is very, very cool. But I've got a feeling I'm, uh, the show's not going to be staying there for that much longer. So, hey. But uh, very much appreciated to all who uh, who uh, take the time to vote and whatnot. Right, first of all... Um, before we begin big 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 shout out to jim moon regular feedbacker and indeed i have feedback from him on this week's show uh but he wrote uh some very very kind words about cinerama on his blog which you can find at hypnogoria.blogspot.com uh it was uh very uh very surprising and um very very touching as well so uh thank you very much for that jim so uh, that's hypnogoria that's h-y-p-n-o-g-o-r-i-a dot blogspot dot com uh cracking little blog that and uh yeah yeah fantastic thank you jim so to start off this week um the one big oscar kind of awardsy contender which has kind of been shut out uh why why is this let's examine shall we i take a look at revolutionary road you've been to paris i've never really been anywhere people are alive there not like here i'm going back the first chance i get frank wheeler i think you're the most interesting person i've ever met what do you think i guess i kind of like it won't you miss the city? Nothing's permanent, right? Right. Love me, love me, love me, say you do. Look at us. We're just like everyone else. We've bought into the same ridiculous delusion. Let me fly. This idea that you have to settle down and resign from life. With you. I want to feel things. Really feel them. A man only gets a couple of chances in life. It won't be long before he's sitting around wondering how he got to be second rate. We can't go on pretending that this is the life we wanted. I support you, don't I? I work 10 hours a day at a job I can't stand. You don't have to. But I have the backbone not to run away from my responsibilities. Who made these rules anyway? Right then, lead review of the week is Revolutionary Road, which is directed by Sam Mendes and stars Leonardo, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, Michael Shannon, Kathy Bates, David Harbour and Catherine Hahn. 
uh, based on Richard Yates's book of the same name. Revolutionary Road um, deals with a youngish couple, uh, Frank and April Wheeler, played by Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, respectively, who uh, meet at a party, and we then suddenly skip forward into the future, where they are living at, in a house in the very, uh, rather, not very subtly, uh, ironically titled Revolutionary Road. April uh, figures out a plan where she and he and their two children can move to Paris, uh, something Frank has always talked about but never really um, tried to actually achieve, so that he can find out what he wants to do with his life and so she can get out of Revolutionary Road. But events uh, turn, um, fighting ensues, and all sorts of other lovely non-romantic stuff occurs too. So then, with Valentine's Day coming up in a couple of weeks, we've got two rather different relationship films on Cinerama this week, and we start off with one that you don't want to be uh, taking a lady on a first date, I'll say that much. Now, despite the fact that the marketing has been very clear on this, I... Uh, worked on Friday night and last night, I'm recording this on Sunday, and um, saw that there were quite a lot of groups of youngish girls going to see Revolutionary Road, and I can't help but think that they're going to be scratching their heads by the end of the film. The pairing of Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, uh, what, 12 years after um, the film that really made both of them, uh, Jim Cameron's Titanic, um... They come back together again for something very, very different. Uh, both have matured into very fine actors. Uh, Kate Winslet looks like she is going to get a, uh, a probably going to get an Oscar, and, but not for her role in this. Even though she did win a Golden Globe for Best Actress for this film a couple of weekends back. And Leonardo DiCaprio, while um, never actually winning any major awards, he will one day, and he is certainly turning into one of the finest actors of his generation, it must be said. So, they're both in very different parts of their lives, and Revolutionary Road um, sees Kate Winslet working with her husband, uh, Sam Mendes, for the first time. Um, but what of the film itself, it having a very uh, prestigious pedigree, but not really doing amazingly well in Oscar season? Well, to start off with, um, an aspect which I suppose hasn't really been covered that much, the film looks absolutely fucking fantastic. Uh, this is a combination of Mendez's direction, uh, very, very, very solid uh, cinematography. Um, I believe by Roger Deakins, but as I say that, I'm starting to think it might be Robert Ellswit who, um, who did the cinematography for There Will Be Blood. Um... I know this is most unprofessional, but hey, you know I like to, uh, well, you know I can't be fucked to edit this thing. Um, it was Roger Deakins. Um, never mind then. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic cinematography. Wonderful production design by Christy Zia. And, um awesome costume design by albert wolski um it's all very mad men i suppose but um dicaprio looks fantastic in his suits um, most of the characters look fantastic in their suits actually and um yeah just wonderful stuff so that was an aspect i wasn't quite um 
wasn't quite readying myself for, to be honest. But yeah, it does look absolutely fantastic. Um, Sam Mendes captures the kind of uh, obvious um, the hopelessness, as they call it in the film, of um, this suburbia very well, very much like American Beauty. In fact, he's on rather he is on um, rather dependable territory for Mendes with this film. But he acquits himself um, fairly well. Now, I say fairly well because I should get onto my massive problem with Revolutionary Road before I uh, talk about more good. I was amazed that this film was not based on a stage play. Now, I watched another film last night, which I'll be re- reviewing next week, which was based on a stage play and yet didn't seem nearly as stagey as Revolutionary Road. And I can't help but think that it is this is just Sam Mendes's problem. And it's weird, because it's not something that he's ever had before. But nothing really seems that natural in, in the writing, and in a way, in the performances, the quieter, subtler moments of Winslet and DiCaprio... And, and Michael Shannon and, and you know, David Harbour and Catherine Han and Kathy Bates, in fact, the whole cast, are what make the film. It's what they're doing when they're not speaking, the, what, the, what they their, the looks on their faces are, their body language. It's all immaculately directed in that way. But when they speak, it's all very... Here's an insult. Insult, insult, insult. Here's another insult character point about the past character point about the past another insult character point about the past insult insult it's just it feels all very very calculated and i would have i I, i'll say this i thought at some point they were both going to admit that they actually quite like arguing with each other that in a way it it get it gets them off. Um, in particular, a scene of, um, near the start of the film in a car. I honestly thought they were just going to go for each other at, at one point, and he was just going to get sex in a car. But it doesn't go that way. But it feels like they're at their most lively when they are arguing with each other. But Mendez never really goes on with this, and I I, mean, I suppose it probably wasn't this aspect wasn't really in the book or something maybe. But it I would be interested to know if anybody does. But I would have been interested to see if, you know, they did just absolutely love laying into each other like this and it did get them off. Because it seems like in their quieter moments, they are constantly despairing. Whereas they do just seem to come out of their shelves when their shelves when arguing. And that would have been cool. But instead, you do just get, apart from about a half an hour stretch in the film... Frank and April constantly shouting at each other and ripping strips off each other and it gets rather tiresome without being amazingly rewarding um I also would have liked to have seen more there's there's a I mean the sense that you know they think they're special and more worthy than other people and they find that you know they 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 ironically find themselves that the only people that a person who actually understands them is someone who um is is mentally disturbed and i liked that aspect and i kind of wish they put, put uh, pushed that even more that 
I don't, I don't know. I, I don't really know what. I mean, I'm not a scriptwriter, really. I mean, well, I'm not. So how? I mean, I, I suppose I couldn't suggest anything. But it's just a shame that you know you get this one scene with Michael Shannon, who is terrific. It must be said. Um, it, it absolutely terrific in this film. Very deserving of his Oscar nomination. Um, and you know, they he agrees with them because they agree with him. That well, they agree with him because. Yeah, yeah. But then in the second scene that he's in, um, they've apparently changed their minds. And so they disagree with him to in public and whatnot. And he kicks off about it all. And it just seemed a bit too simplistic. And I felt like they could have done more with his character and, and with the effect that he actually has on their relationship instead of it just showing that they're rather high and mighty mate and they're probably really not that special and then uh, actually yeah then the second sequence certainly shows this and it would have been better i think if michael shannon's character actually had something more to do instead of just being a plot device really and this is saying nothing about his performance i think it's i think it's probably in the scripting really um but it's just a shame that he he never does much more than really is what on, what is on the tin. I know the Slash film cast, when they reviewed this, David Chen on that show um, actually played a clip from Michael Shannon and kind of illustrated the point that he's literally telling the audience what is going on in the story. And I think he's right there. But it's just a shame. I would have liked to have seen his character a bit more developed. I didn't actually know he was only really going to be in two sequences in the film. And that was a shame because... Uh, I think he could, um, he could have been more effective. Um, I'm also not too sure... Here's another complaint, I suppose. What this film is really trying to say, uh, you know, apart from, like, the obvious, that if you have a couple of kids, you might not be able to do what you would dreamt of doing in your late teens, early 20s. I'm sure a lot of people know that, and a lot of people live with that, and quite happily also. So, it, it, I, I found it very interesting that the 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 crazy well not crazy but just really 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 depressing direction the film goes in in the last five ten minutes. And a lot of people have also said the film could end ten minutes before. And yes, it could end ten minutes before. And I know the exact bloody bit. And I will just say, when Leonardo DiCaprio leaves the house, if it faded to black there, it would have been way more effective than the following ten minutes. Than it is with the following ten minutes. And um, it's just... It's not really trying to say anything special. And I suppose, in a way, that's kind of the point, because these people aren't special. But the story itself is not really that interesting. Um, it's Leonardo DiCaprio talking the big talk, but not walking the walk. Um, it's Kate Winslet being miserable in her own life, but again, not really knowing what she wants. And that particular aspect as well isn't really focused on too much. Neither is the fact that why are they so special together? Why are the two people, why are they destined to be together as it would seem to be, or destined to drive each other apart? They don't really seem to have that much in common in the first place. There's a very quick two or three minute scene at the beginning where they get together and then bang, you're straight into an unhappy marriage. And it would have been nice to see a little bit more about why they fell in love. Him talk a bit more about Paris instead of, I want to move to Paris because it's amazing over there. 
Oh, I've never met anybody like you. Bang. Five, ten years later. Would have been nice to have a little bit more. Because there's a bit of flashbacking kind of stuff going on in the beginning. And I kind of thought it was going to do a, do a bit more of that. But it, it settles into a linear narrative pretty quickly. But, um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, this you go you really go to this film for the look of the film and for the performances. And like I said, despite the screenplay and whatnot, um, Leonardo DiCaprio is fantastic in his quiet moments and he has plenty of them and he's a despicable character as well and it's nice to see him do that but he never ever ever degrades himself into pantomime and that must have been a very very tricky line to walk across especially with some of the scripting in this film kate winslet is um is good you know i mean she yeah i mean she's she's pretty great as the board suburban housewife but um but she's more kind of reactionary than anything else for most of it, just reacting to what Leonardo DiCaprio says, apart from one terrific moment where she completely blindsides him with a revelation, which I did I did enjoy, actually. Michael Shannon I've already talked about. Um, David Harbour and Catherine Han are a very interesting couple as well. There's a lot of stuff going on below the surface of that couple that you're never really quite sure about. It's made a bit too explicit in one scene, which I actually felt... Um, the film didn't need um, motivations behind um, a particular uh, action uh, that Kate Winslet does um, seemed a little skew with to me. But um, yeah, but uh, they're, they're both terrific in it. And Catherine Hahn, I thought I recognised her from something. And one of my friends said um, she's the woman that um, John C. Riley has the affair with in Step Brothers. And it's absolutely incredible how different the two characters are but also how kind of neurotic and constantly smiling and always kind of nervous energy filled um she is as well i mean it's a it's a cracking performance as well um so in all um i i, I think i can tell why this or why this didn't um go down too well with oscar um quite frankly it's a real slog to get through um a friend of mine has called it one of his favourite films of this award season, and it's just not for me at all. Um, the more the, the subtler elements of the performance are some of the best subtle elements of performances I've seen in a good long while. The direction is fine. The music's terrific, actually. Thomas Newman does a terrific job with that. And, you know, production design, cinematography, and costumes are great. But the film doesn't quite feel like it's actually the sum of its parts. It feels like it's got a lot of good there, but it doesn't quite mesh into a cohesive whole. And I think that's just because it's all it all gets rather repetitive. The story's not amazingly intriguing. And it, it just... You don't want to see two people constantly um, arguing for two hours. That's all, you know, I mean, it's just... I, you don't always have to have an enjoyable time at the cinema, but like having this kind of a time at the cinema at the same time is um, quite an ask. But it is very lovely to look at, it must be said. So, um, yeah, Revolutionary Road. Um, two and a half out of five, completely down the middle. Um, maybe, a, uh, maybe skewing more to a two out of five, to be honest. It just doesn't quite hit the mark for me as a whole. And... Um, it's really a shame because I think there's a better film in there. Okay, it be news time and I've got a few things for you this week. Let's start off with the most annoying news of the week. It's been rumoured for a long while, um, but it has been confirmed that there is going to be a new The Thing. 
It is going to be a prequel to the John Carpenter uh, original. It's going to be written by Ronald D. Moore, who uh, I believe um, is in charge of the reimagining of Battlestar Galactica, and is directed is going to be directed by a first-time feature director, Mattis Van Hellingen Jr., um, who apparently, according to uh, Chud, has been uh, attached to direct Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead for uh, a while. Now, okay, fine. I mean, in the end of the day, The Thing was a remake itself of uh, The Thing from Another World. Um, that Howard Hawks film, I believe it was Howard, or did he produce it? One or the other. Um, and so I can't get that mad about this, really. But it's... I'm not too sure what the audience for this exactly is going to be. The Thing is a cult film. It's a very popular cult film, but I don't think it's one that the mass audience as a whole really know knows too well. And the thing that weirds me out is that it's going to be focusing on the Norwegian base, which was infected by The Thing before the American base in The Thing. But apparently the main character is going to be MacReady's brother. Um... I don't quite know how that works. I didn't know uh, McCready was supposed to be uh, uh, supposed to have Norwegian blood. He never mentions a brother in the film. And why does it have to be a brother anyway? Why can't it just be a new set of people? Um, I'm assuming uh, practical effects are probably not going to be the order of the day. This one it's going to be all CG squishiness and whatnot. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to remain tracking it, as I'm sure a lot of you guys are. But at the same time, I'm not exactly looking forward to this. But, you know, hey, we'll see what happens. You never know. It might never happen yet. You know, it's only just been announced. So, hey. Okay, next. Um, unwanted comic book sequel time. Um, apparently, uh, Sony are close to greenlighting Ghost Rider 2. And Nicolas Cage is officially aboard it. Uh, great. Um, whatever. That's all I've got to say about that one. Moving on. Okay, um, interesting news this. After, even though I don't watch the films themselves because I disagree with the very thing they try to peddle, uh, well, the books anyway, um, Disney pulled out of the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Narnia adaptations. Uh, the next one, The Voyage of the, Do uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, was supposed to be, um, I think it was supposed to be shooting about now, but um, they uh, pulled out. But Fox have stepped in there to uh, pick up the uh, the coin for the film. So uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader is going to be coming out. Um, the cast and crew, apparently most of them are going to be retained, including Michael Apted, who will be directing it. And, um, yeah, let's just see what Fox and Walden Media pull out with this one then. Eh? Um, I, still, I still think the film's not going to be as uh, highly budgeted as Prince Caspian. I think that film did make its money back, but, um, didn't make nearly as much of a profit as, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I'm kind of surprised that, um, Disney dropped it, to be honest with you. I mean, all right, Prince Caspian, uh, was darker, but it was better received, and, um, I believe the DVD and Blu-ray sales are pretty good for it as well, but, um, you know, Fox have got another franchise, we'll see, we'll see what happens with it. Okay, uh, next, um, there's going to be a new live-action He-Man film. Um, wow, uh, that's going to be an interesting one. Um, it's going to be uh, directed by John Stevenson, who co-directed Kung Fu Panda, and produced by Joel Silver. Um, this could be interesting. Um, the... Uh, 
the original Masters of the Universe film was pretty awful, even though the bit with Skeletor after the credits gave me nightmares for weeks as a kid. Um, but I would love to see what happens with this. This could be a big, stupid, um, you know, PG-rated action film, which could be a lot of fun. Could be awful, but, um, you know, we don't know anything about it yet. But uh, let's just see who they get to play He-Man. I'm going to go for Jason Statham. That'd be wicked. Okay, and uh, lastly this week, um, the long-mooted A-Team remake has got another director on board. Um, John Singleton is off. Joe Carnahan uh, is on. Uh, the director of Narc and Smoking Aces is apparently going to be directing this, and it's going to be uh, produced by um, Ridley Scott and Tony Scott. So um, the fact that they're putting their name on it is... Um, I suppose quite uh, quite comforting really um, the fact that it's a Fox film is maybe not so comforting but hey but um, you know all these teams coming together films seem to be a big part of the next few years you've got Inglorious Bastards you've got the uh, Expendables the Sylvester Stallone film and now you've got the A-Team and um, I don't know it looks like we're kind of getting back into a kind of an 80s action mindset which I think can only be a good thing to be honest with you um, uh, I, I like Joe Carnahan, um, I especially liked Narc, Smoking Aces had a lot of problems but it was still visually um, um, very very interesting and um, I am officially intrigued, uh, especially more so now that John Singleton is off it must be said and hopefully Tyrese is not going to be uh, B.A. Baracus anymore but who will be, um, I'm going to go for Jason Statham on that one. <laughs> um, sorry that was bad um, alright that's it for your news this week and there will be more next week I'm sure not again oh, oh. damn it come on this is Nick he's a sensitive musician I'm not going we have a gig Nicky I don't want to go I'm taking a mental health day who's bad at relationships. Hey, Tris, it's Nick. I just wanted to talk to you. You know, I think we both said some things we didn't mean, like when you broke up with me on my B-Day. This is Nora. OK, everybody in. She always plays by the rules. You have to promise me that you won't get drunk tonight. But tonight. Nora, alone again? I came here with someone. Who? She's going to break them. Would you be my boyfriend for five minutes? What? Please, just go with it, OK? How do you guys like know each other? We're the same dentist. Yeah, he's good. Okay, second review of the week is uh, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, uh, directed by Peter Sillette. This stars Michael Serra, Kat Dennings, Aaron Yu, Ari Grainer, Rafi Gavron, Alexis Dezina, and Jay Baruchel. Uh, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist uh, is the story of one night where um, Nick, played by Michael Serra, and Nora, uh, played by Kat Dennings, are thrown together and uh, are on the search of an uh, infamous band playing a secret gig, uh, a band called Where's Fluffy. Uh, they are assisted by uh, Nick's gay bandmates, Tom and Dev, played by Aaron Yu and Rafi Gavron. And uh, Nora is also trying to find Caroline, her friend, played by Ari Grainer. But spanners are in the works of this couple hoping to get together, as Nick is still hung up on his ex Tris, played by Alexis Dezinna, and Nora has a kind of on-and-off boyfriend, Tao, played by Jay Baruchel. 
Okie dokie. So, uh, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist has been getting some mixed reviews. It's got an incredibly um, small kind of release in the UK. I only started seeing advertisements for it on the telly a couple of days before it came uh, out. And um, I think one of the reasons for this may be because um, the music is such a focus in the film that if you don't like your indie rock then um you're probably gonna kind of get shut out of the film altogether just because it is such a focus and another problem i will just say with the film right now i mean there are a few problems generally but i'm only 24 but this film makes me feel like i'm 50 um it's all very hip. It, it's all very much of its time. You get the feeling in a year or so it's already going to be dated. I noticed one of the songs on the soundtrack is actually about three years old. Um, I used to fucking dance to that in clubs when I was in uni. And I mean, like, that was nearly three years ago now, um, amazingly. Oh, dear. Um, and, yeah, it's... I. The thing is, I quite like... The, the music I, I, I listen to the kind of music that's in this film so i think i i probably had a more positive reaction than somebody who who wouldn't um because it is just such a large part of it and i could see people thinking that the characters and whatnot are actually quite annoying and in a way i mean the fact is People who, like, really want to see, like, all the latest bands and whatnot um, are usually, it's got to be said, are usually kind of, and especially people who are in bands and whatnot, are, are by experience, are usually pricks and um, are what we like to call um, scenesters um, that, that very much just care more about how what they look like and what kind of cool they're exuding than anything else so it was kind of weird that apart from a couple of exceptions you don't really get any of these people in this film but then i suppose you've got to have kind of a happy clappy bunch of people to really warm to them and uh warm to them you do it must be said uh michael Sarah and kat dennings are a very charming couple uh michael Sarah's kind of doing i mean his his michael Sarah thing again and that guy's really got to try and do something else really because it is getting tired but um cat dennings is uh very cute it must be said um a friend of mine said that he finds her cuter than a lot of women because she she's more at attainable and um i don't know whether he's thinking of flying out to the u.s or whatever because i'm pretty sure she's not that attainable but I, I get what he means she's she's not like an over-the-top beauty which i think is the point of uh of nick's ex-girlfriend played by alexis dezena and they um nor one of nora's big hang-ups in the film is the fact that she like she thinks she's not nearly as pretty as her and so i'm glad they kind of acknowledge that but um i've got to say i actually quite liked uh caroline played by ari grainer as well in terms of uh fitty stakes it must be said um think i probably I, I well actually donna has told me this um i go for blondes with big boobs but not in a kind of unconventionally like ridiculous sense of um boobs um <laughs> but um yeah i mean she um, i mean she's quite fun as well she she's a lot of the comic relief in the film is around her and there's in particular one really disgusting scene involving a toilet and, chew and some chewing gum but um you know she does well with what is a rather one-note role. And it was also fun to see Aaron Yu, um, who, 
I, I, he plays um, one of Nick's gay best friends, and he's actually really good in the in the role. Um, I, I, I really, I, I really did quite enjoy him. And even though it was odd to see um, John Cho, who is going to be playing um, Sulu in Star Trek, um, in this film, in a kind of really brief five-second cameo, and. Um, I'm assuming he must be f- a friend of the filmmakers and whatnot, because I'm pretty sure he could get roles bigger than that these days. Um, so, yeah, um, I mean, the film itself is funny. Um, there were a few moments when I really did laugh, but um, probably not as many as I would have liked. Um, it kind of concentrates more on the kind of relationshipy stuff than um, the drama. And I've got to say, if you're like a... like. 15 16 year old emo kid this is probably going to be like your favorite film um of all time um but um it's still i mean the the central relationship is what really makes the film it could it could have easily broken it but they are just so nice together and you do just will them together so much that it um that that it, it it really does work, and it was nice to see that they they kind of actually wrap up their relationship with a good quarter of an hour to go, um, and then there's a spo- there's a bit of what is supposed to be tension at the end, but it's not really. But I kind of think that was the point because it's made incredibly obvious that you know they are together, and um, then you just get to see some fun stuff for like the last ten fifteen minutes, you know. Um, so in all, it's. Uh, I'm far more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be. Um, it's also very brisk as well. It's only about an hour and 25 minutes long, and uh, that's always appreciated in comedies. And to be honest with you, it did kind of feel like the film didn't have anywhere else to go by the end of it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was sweet, charming. Um, when it's cheap on Blu-ray, I probably will buy it. And considering that uh, the fact that I'd had um, uh, two friends of mine give negative reactions to it in the last week... Um, I was really quite surprised how much I, I enjoyed it. It's not for everyone, um, I must say. And like I said, if you don't like this kind of music, you're probably not going to have that good a time with it because fuck me, the music's pretty front and centre in this film. But, you know, the central relationship is all, is also good, particularly Cat Dennings. And it's there's a very, very able supporting cast as well who all get their moments in the sun, which was um, very nice to see as well. So, um, yeah, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, recommended. Um, I don't think it's going to be in UK cinemas for that much longer. I don't think it's done too well this weekend. But um, I would definitely recommend catching it on DVD or Blu-ray. Okay, so after what was probably the longest, yeah, definitely the longest marathon yet on Cinerama, uh, the Argento Marathon, which I believe you can find all parts of in the back catalogue on iTunes, uh, it is time to announce a new marathon. And after suggestion by uh, a couple of folks via email, I am going to go with Hitchcock. But I'm not going to go through uh, what is what are probably his more famous films, so you won't be hearing anything on Psycho, Vertigo, Rear Window, The Birds, anything like that. Instead, I'm going to go for Hitchcock I haven't seen. Um maybe some Hitchcock that some of you guys haven't seen either. I mean, I think I just listed off the some of the obvious ones there, but um, but now um, 
Sorry, that was just my phone going. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to try and go for some which are still accessible, though, because uh, there's loads on the IMDb list I've never heard of. Uh, but I have come up with my list, and I am going to start next week with Saboteur. Uh, I'm going to follow that up with Lifeboat, then Spellbound, then Notorious, Rope, The Trouble with Harry, Marnie, Torn Curtain, and finally Frenzy. So, uh, got quite a few films to go through. This one's probably going to take a while also, but I hope you will join me for it. So, uh, that was just a little announcement there that we're going to be starting off the Argentu uh, Marathon, uh, uh, not Argentu, Christ, Hitchcock Marathon, sorry, next week with Saboteur. Right then, time for this week's trailer talk, and it's a Super Bowl Sunday special. Never thought I'd say those words on this podcast. Okay, so, um... It's kind of weird, I suppose. Um, the Super Bowl's due to kick off in, I think, about five hours from now. And yet, I, about six hours ago, saw all of these trailers on YouTube um, in, like, HD. So, I don't quite know how that happened. Um, the noise you heard at the start uh, of this section was the uh, whole uh, teaser for um, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Um it's already been getting some very positive reaction on the net, and uh, it just looks epic, to be honest. Um, God knows what any of it's all about, but it really, really looks like they've um, um, uh, swung for the uh, uh, for the fences, I suppose the phrase is on. The, even that's a baseball phrase, I suppose. Um, on this one, um, no idea what's going on at all, but looks pretty fucking good. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose we've got to be seeing, uh, seeing like a two, three minute teaser trailer at some point soon. But, um, yeah, what, what I saw there looked good to me. Right, so on to our next one. You always had a hard time finding your place in this world. Why are you talking to me, man? You can settle for an ordinary life. I dare you to do better. Letter of course, Tim Kirk. Good luck. Okay, uh, that one, I think you probably could tell, maybe. Depends how the audio comes out, I suppose. J.J. Uh, Abrams' uh, Star Trek, first new footage we've seen since the uh, first proper trailer came out. And, um, I don't know, looks pretty action-packed, uh, more than any other Star Trek film. 
Um, even though I suppose that is the point of having JJ Abrams on board. Um, uh, yeah, looks like it could be good. Again, we don't really know too much. Looks pretty damn epic, I'll say that much. Um, I'm actually starting to get into Zachary Quinto as Spock now. Um, the brief shot shots of him on that look pretty good. Um, Carl Urban is, um, as Bones is still an interesting choice, but um, I suppose I'm not that much of a Star Trek fan, but, so... Uh, doesn't really matter to me but uh i would have liked to have seen some simon Pegg in there but i suppose in 30 seconds you can only do what you can do um but yeah cool yeah okay um on to our next one we're back now with dr rick marshall whose new book arrives in stores tomorrow this theory of yours what exactly is that two simple words time warps you've spent 50 million dollars of your money studying time warps somehow that's adorable no, uh, taxpayers' money. Something's happening. This is an earthquake. Ah! Can we go back in time? Yes, and space. Friends? Smells good. Okay, um, that was the first bit of footage uh, we have seen from Land of the Lost, uh, directed by uh, Brad Sibling, who directed uh, Lemony Snicket's uh, series of extraordinary events. Um, and yeah, looks uh, a bit ropey at the moment. Um, the bit at the beginning with this TV interview with Will Ferrell's character um, really looked quite cheap. And that kind of spread to the rest of the uh, the, the the teaser, to be honest with you. Um, a lot of the, the CG looks pretty unfinished. I know it's quite a few months until this uh, this film actually comes back, uh, comes out even. So um, we're we're still yet to see too much of it. But um, yeah, doesn't really look that great at all um i know slash film and a lot of the youtube comments actually have said that um the shot at the end with will ferrell um in front of the dinosaur looks really bad and uh yeah that does look really bad um still though i think the the teaming of will ferrell anna Friel, and danny mcbride has got a lot going for it but um i think this is going to be pretty kiddie orientated and um that's a little bit Mm, I don't really know. Um, it's not one I'm particularly looking forward to, but it is one I'm I'm perfectly willing to uh, give the benefit of a doubt to at the same time. So uh, yeah, we shall see. Now um, I'm just going to talk about the next one because it's actually a couple of minutes long. Um, looked more like a clip than an ad, and it was like two minutes long. Uh, this is the first bit of footage we've seen for Harold Ramis's new uh, Jad Apatow um, uh, produced comedy year one um starring in the lead roles michael Sarah and jack black but in this bit you also see what appears to be a cameo uh, by both paul rudd and david cross um it looks pretty funny good mixture of immature humor and um slightly smarter stuff to be honest with you um jack black firing sticks at a some sort of woolly beast and then saying need arrowheads um 
I thought was actually pretty funny. Um, I think Jack Black and Michael Sarah could be actually quite a good little um, good little uh, team here. Um, but you know, we shall we shall see. Uh, I'm hoping for some uh, good stuff here. Um, but I don't know. I mean, that could have just that could be the best scene in the film. Um, you don't really get a sense for really what it's about or anything. So um, hey. Okay, uh, next one, I- I'm just again going to talk about, um, G.I. Joe, Rise, uh, The Rise of Cobra, um, now, some pictures came out from G.I. Joe, um, earlier this week, and they looked awful, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the, uh, Levitt as the Doctor, or is he Cobra Commander as well, or something, looked really really odd and i can't quite see how joseph gordon levitt was actually in there um the pictures are on the net and you'll you'll know what i mean when you see it um but yeah i mean it again it's a very quick teaser and it's the first bit of footage we've seen but it looks uh like pretty good blockbustery fun to be honest could turn out to be shit but the uh the bit at the end with uh, the snake eyes character kind of jumping about and landing on top of this vehicle looked pretty cool um dennis quaid's always good value in my uh, in my mind and christopher eccleston as a villain um in a big hollywood film is something you don't see every day either so uh i look forward to it yes yes i do okay so i'm actually going to play the next one Fast and Furious, fuck it, I'm looking forward to it, um, guilty pleasure time, I believe, um, you don't really, uh, see a lot, if any, new footage at all, but I, I don't know, I mean, I think it's just going to be fun, um, yeah, fuck it, guilty pleasure, that's all I've really got to say about that one, um, it's the only one that uh, uh one of these trailers that hasn't got any new, uh, new footage at all really though and that's quite disappointing but i think people who want to see this already know they want to see it people who don't already know they don't, that they don't want to and i don't think anything's really going to change anybody's minds about it so you know never mind but um yeah i'm i'm looking forward to it what can i say and so on to the last one and let's play this as well. Over the years, Disney Pixar has taken you on amazing journeys to worlds you've never imagined. On May 29th, they'll take you on their next great adventure with Carl Fredrickson. And he won't even have to leave his house. Pixar invites you to discover a lost world. 
skies. Hi, Mr. Frederickson. Please let me in. No. Pixar's Up, presented in Disney Digital 3D. Oh, baby, baby, what's my GPS? We'll never be lost. <laughs> Oops. To see a special first look of Up, go to Disney.com. Okay, and uh, finally, that was the uh, the uh, spot for Disney Pixar's Up. Um, not a lot of new footage. I think only really the last ten seconds. But that bit where he, um, where the kid says, "Please let me in," and he just says no and slams the door, always makes me chuckle. And uh, there was a good little, rather obvious gag at the end with the kid's GPS system. Um, I've got a feeling after Ratatouille and Wally, uh, uh, Disney are kind of telling Pixar to kind of get a bit more blatantly more kiddie friendly than trying to appeal to adults maybe arguably more than kids and um yeah i'm looking forward to it i'm really 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 pissed off that it said that it's coming out in may in america when i believe the uk is not getting it until october just like with ratatouille which came out in early july in the us a couple of years back didn't come out until october in the uk because of the october half term for the school kids and the fact that apparently we just can't have that many bloody films over may june july august um yeah we don't get to see it till october i've got a feeling i'm actually in the u.s in october i'm going to florida for two weeks and i've got a feeling this might be out on blu-ray by then um and if that suckers all regions uh i'm probably going to be picking it up over there to be honest um and might even still get to watch it before um it comes out over here so which is ludicrous for uh, a, such a big film, I mean, I uh, it just it it does really really annoy me, but yeah, looks fun. So um, generally, I think Land of the Lost underwhelmed me the most. Um, GI Joe looks better than I I really thought it would, but we're early days yet. Fast and Furious looked like all the other trailers. Transformers 2 looks pretty great. Star Trek's actually starting to intrigue me, and Up looks enjoyable as well. So uh, a good round of spots. You never know, we might even um, get some more on it. Um, like actually by Super Bowl time, maybe some studios have decided not to release them. I'm thinking maybe Watchmen. Some new Watchmen footage might be nice, but hey, we shall see. So that's it for your um, slightly special trailer talk this week, and there shall be more, I'm sure, next week. Okay, feedback time. I've uh, got a couple of things for you this week. Um, new people, don't be afraid to feedback. Um, it tends to be the same people feedbacking, which is awesome, and I will always, always uh, uh, love reading uh, the, the regular folks thoughts out on air but um, don't be scared if you're new to this podcast and you want to email I'd absolutely love to hear from you but saying that we are going to start this week with David Munn who um, has a commentary on my commentary of Death Race 2000 and he says hi Ian I love the Death Race 2000 commentary thank you very much David uh, I watched and drank along on the hottest night in Adelaide history definitely appropriate time for uh, to sink a few coldies we are in the, in the middle of a record breaking heat wave the day of the night when I watched Death Race 2000 was the hottest in 70 years at around 46 degrees centigrade holy shit and in the evening it only went down to about 33 degrees again holy shit anyway the commentary was a lot of fun and I could tell the alcohol was taking effect when you confessed that you could be seduced by Jason Statham 
I could be seduced by Jason... St- this is me, Ian. I could be seduced by Jason Statham, Daniel Craig, or Javier Bardem. I'll tell you that right now. Um, I am very, very comfortable in my sexuality, you know? Haven't got a problem with uh, with saying this. Um, but, yeah, if I, uh, I... I don't know. If Jason Statham said, Ian, do you want to have a go? I, actually, I'd probably say no, but... Um, you know, I, I, I'd like, I, I don't know. Anyway, Paul Bartel is an underappreciated director. His first film, The Secret Cinema, was a half-hour short about a woman who comes to believe that someone is secretly filming her life and that her friends and acquaintances are watching the films at secret showings. That was in 1968, long before The Truman Show, etc. His first film, uh, his first feature was The Gloriously Twisted Private Parts, 1972, one of my all-time favourite exploit- exploitation films. Apparently, he didn't have a very good relationship with Roger Corman, who wanted Death Race 2000 to be a more serious film. I think he wanted a cheap rip-off of Rollerball, which came out the same year. I emailed with Charles Griffin, one of the co-script writers and second unit directors on Death Race 2000, a few times shortly before his death, and he had this to say about the ongoing battles with Corman over attempts to inject humour into the films, and I quote... This combat occurred with almost every script, especially uh, Death Race 2000, over which we battled for five months, mainly due to the look of the cars, which demanded a comic treatment. Roger still insists that it would have been, uh, it would have made more money as a hard-hitting drama than the pseudo-satire Paul Bartel and I conspired to make. After Death Race 2000 uh, was a big success, Corman assigned Bartel to direct another car race movie, Cannonball, once again starring David Carradine. Bartel hated doing that film because he was at heart a comedy director, not an action director. Apparently, he went to Corman with an idea for a movie to be called Frankencar, which would be a satirical attack on the car culture, with car accident victims having their missing limbs replaced with hood ornaments and other car parts. But Corman said he would only give him half of what he needed to make the film. He also went to him with his script for Eating Raoul, and once again, Corman said he would give him half of what he needed. In the end, he borrowed the money to make that film from his father, who had just sold the family home. And it turned out to be his masterpiece, a black comedy starring himself and Mary Wuronov, as an uptight couple called the Blands, who dream of owning their own restaurant. The pièce de résistance of their menu will be the Bland Enchilada. They are shocked at the behaviour of swingers in their apartment block. When they accidentally kill one and find that he has lots of money in his wallet, they decide to make a career of luring swingers to their apartment with ads in the local paper and then murdering them for their money. The scenes in which uh, Mary Wuronov reluctantly plays along to the swingers' bizarre fantasies are hilarious, especially one with a man who dreams of having sex with Minnie Mouse. Bartel appeared as an actor in loads of B-movies throughout the 70s and 80s. In Death Race 2000, he plays the Doctor who wheels Frankenstein in at the start of the movie. Corman's New World Pictures definitely put out some amazing movies in the 70s. One of my other favourites is Hollywood Boulevard, 1976. Corman let two guys who'd been working for him, editing trailers, Alan Arkush and Joe Dante, have their first shot at directing a real movie. The only condition was that a certain percent of it be recycled footage from previous New World Pictures releases. So they made a movie about a murderer knocking people off on a film shoot. Miracle Pictures, motto, if it's a good picture, it's a miracle, are making their latest film, Machete Maidens and Mora Towel. Some of the uh, humour is extremely tasteless, e.g. the filming of a rape scene in which the Filipino actors won't stop when the director yells cut, but you get a sense that everything in- everyone involved was having a ball sending up the kind of movies that were their bread and butter. Paul Bartel plays the pretentious director, Mary Woronov is one of the actresses, Charles Griffith has an acting role, even Future Silence of the Lambs director Jonathan Demme was there inside the Godzilla suit, and it stars the gorgeous Candice Rielsen, who was perhaps best remembered for a starring role in Chatterbox, 1977, a musical comedy about a girl with a talk vagina. I remember seeing ads for Chatterbox and Death Race 2000 on television when I was a young teen. 
I was too young to go see them, but seeing the trailers on TV probably sowed the seeds of my later obsession with driving style exploitation films. The next evening after watching Death Race 2000, I watched Sunshine. This was less appropriate viewing for the middle of a heatwave. It's hard to feel concerned about the sun going out when you're in the middle uh, of a week of straight 40 plus days, but I did enjoy the film. Not as much as you did. The implausibility of what happens towards the end of the film marred it for me. First we are asked to believe that someone survived for seven years alone on the old ship. This might be possible for someone who's sane and healthy, but he was totally bonkers and so badly burned by the sun that he would have died of skin cancer a long time ago. And then we were also expected to believe that he can slip from one spaceship to the other without anyone seeing him, even though the other astronauts had a difficult time doing the same thing. But aside from that, it was a still worthy entry in a subgenre I really like. The people going insane in outer space subgenre, of which I can only think of two other examples, Event Horizon and Star Dark Star. Alex Garland is clearly a fan of the latter since he named one of his characters Pinbacker, clearly a reference to Pinback from Carpenter's film. I think I liked Event Horizon a bit better than Sunshine. Blasphemy! Blasphemy, David, although that film also lost the plot towards the end. Another film which resembles Sunshine in some ways is Silent Running, a truly remarkable film in that it manages to hold one's attention for an hour and a half without any of the action that one normally expects from a science fiction film. In many ways, it was the forerunner of Wally, -E, another film I didn't quite like quite as much as you. The animation was amazing and it did convey a powerful sense of loneliness, but I missed the action and characters of A Toy Story 2 or Monsters, Inc. Cheers, David. He's also got one other thing to say um, that he forgot to mention. The reason, uh, on another email, this is, the reason there are crappy copies of Death Race 2 thousand around it's because it is in the public domain in australia and the u.s it had cheapy releases as well as the official ones the first official release in the u.s was from corman's own new concord that was a full frame version later he sold the rights to many of his new world films to disney and they re-released them their version of death race 2000 was in 1.77 to 1 aspect ratio this is the same as the one i bought recently here in australia Unfortunately, both versions are out of print in Region 1, so in the US, people have to either pay the exorb uh, exorbitant prices being charged by Amazon dealers or buy the crappy public domain version. Having said that, the copy you had was clearly complete as it matched up perfectly with mine. Cheers, David. Uh, thank you very much, David. Yes, um, I never knew Death Race 2000 was in the public domain. Um, the most famous film I know that's in the public domain is Night of the Living Dead, and uh, but I'm surprised not more people uh, uh, have said that Death Race 2000 was in the public domain, because... Uh, I, I think it's quite a significant film, really. Um, cracking email there. Um, yeah, um, right. I thought the reason why Pinbacker could get onto that ship so easily was because the kind of bridge was still connected. Then he got onto the uh, the other ship and then blasted the uh, the, the uh, bridge apart. So I thought that was why he got over so easily. But um, hey, um, yeah, okay. Um, he was clearly bonkers, I'll admit, but he was waiting to try and sabotage any other mission. That was his point. That's why he was still alive, because he'd been talking to God and God had told him to send them all to heaven. So he basically was waiting around until the sun did its job. Now, OK, the skin cancer bit. Yeah, fair enough. OK, fine. But in the end of the day, they had oxygen, they had plants, they had water, they had everything on that ship, and they actually make a point of saying that. I think he could have survived. That's the thing. You know, the skin cancer thing. I don't know, maybe he was talking to God. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, fine. I, I, I will always disagree with people who criticise Sunshine, even though I know that complaint about the last 20, 30 minutes is the major one, but... Fuck it, I don't care. Um, 
Well, I'm talking to you guys at the moment on what is probably the coldest day of the year in the UK. Um, it was snowing overnight. Uh, apparently, most of London is pretty much completely shut off. Um, and uh, it's absolutely fucking freezing here, I must say. Um, apparently, it feels like minus four out there at the moment. And it's half eleven in the morning, so wonderful. Uh, but 46 degrees, I can't even imagine that. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, Death Race 2000 um, has got a fascinating history behind it, really. And um, just as I said on the commentary, New World Pictures, you know, Roger Corman gave a lot of people their start. And you, you, you hear there in that email, you know, Alan Arkush, Joe Dante, um, Jonathan Demi, you know, they all got their start working in Roger Corman pictures. So, you know, th th there you go. Um, I... I I would have loved to see Frankencar. That would have been um, very interesting. Um, car accident victims having their missing limbs replaced with hood ornaments. But um, yeah, Corman was is always uh, very uh, pernickety with his money as well, isn't he? So um, I suppose that's not really too much of a surprise. I'm actually uh, a bit tempted to buy the remake of Death Race on Blu-ray, which comes out in the UK today. But um, yeah, I'd, oh, I'd love to see Death Race 2000 in high def. It would probably still look pretty bad, but, um, you know, hey. But um, it is very easily accessible off the internet, and if it's public domain, then I, I suppose it's not illegal to download it, I would assume. But, hey. All right, so that was uh, David's email. Thank you very much for that, David. Um, absolutely fucking fascinating, as always. Um, very, very interesting stuff. And... Uh, Secondly and lastly, we have Jim Moon, who says, Hi, Ian. Saw Frost Nixon this week, and I have to say I'm with you on being somewhat underwhelmed and don't think all the Oscar, uh, all the awards nominations are that well-deserved. Sure, it's a decent enough movie, and Langella is brilliant, knocks Hopkins into a cocked hat, but I think it's probably lost something in translation from stage two screen. Usually, such adaptations get hit with the criticism. You can tell this was original play because the number of sets is so limited, but I think this story would have benefited from keeping the closed focus of the play. Somehow, it just didn't seem entirely comfortable on the big screen, and I wonder if it would have played better as a TV movie. Still pleased I saw it, though. The whole Oscar nominations thing is annoying, though, and I entirely sympathise with you getting hot under the collar. This is a reference to um, feedback uh, discussion last week. Uh, when The Dark Knight is dismissed as just a silly superhero movie. Hell, I'd be annoyed with that remark, even without the silly tag. Yes, The Dark Knight features a superhero, but it's like dismissing Apocalypse Now as just another war movie or Citizen Kane as a biopic. I think The Dark Knight is a landmark movie, not just in raising the bar for comic adaptations, but blockbuster films as a whole. Nolan has proved that there is a massive audience who wants intelligence and depth with their action. Uh, 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 and thrills, a combination that the black arts of demographics would claim is incompatible. Hopefully The Dark Knight will usher in a whole new wave of intelligent popular cinema in pretty much the same way that Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns did in comics at the end of the 80s. Still, the Oscars frequently missed the mark. I recall several years ago The Observer ran a piece which listed past Best Picture recipients and films regularly scoring highly in Best Films Ever critic lists made in the same year. Needless to say, there were a lot of award-winning films that no one really raves on about now. Cheers, Jim. Uh, thank you, Jim. Yep, quite right there, I think. Um, the I would love to see Dark Knight ushering in a wave of intelligent popular cinema, but I think Watchmen is going to be the test here. The flicks probably... Uh, well, it's going to be a rated R. It's probably going to be an 18 in the UK, and the question is, are people going to go out and watch a two-and-a-half-hour-long comic book film, which is obviously intelligent, 
but it's not based on a famous property and hasn't got anything like the Heath Ledger performance to back it up. I'm hoping, yes. I mean, um, the the word on the net is just getting out of control about Watchmen, really. But at the same time, I'm not too sure what the public awareness is. But it must be said, the uh, trailers have been pretty fucking incredible. I think the whole marketing has been incredible. And, um, you know, we've got Watchmen posters and standees all over the place at work at the moment. So I do hope so. But the thing is, though, I mean... You can't really say there's there's anything um, as prob- probably anyway as intelligent as uh, Watchmen to uh, come out in uh, this summer. We've got what Transformers 2, uh, GI Joe, uh, Terminator Salvation. Um, God, what else? I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but I, I'm sure you get a Fast and Furious. I mean, like it. I think it's big dumb summer fun for this year. But you never know. Um, the Dark Knight and Watchmen could have their effect on next year's blockbusters, but we shall see. Um, yeah, Frost Nixon, I agree with Jim, really. Um, it. I'm actually just going to pull up the email I sent to Jim, because I'm blanking like a motherfucker today. Yeah, um, I, I agree with Jim in that, yeah, Frost Nixon, maybe it could have actually done with being having a tighter focus the film is called frost nixon after all it's not frost nixon kevin bacon sam rockwell rebecca hall toby jones etc and it while you know the main thrust of the plot is definitely there i think it it would have been better to see a kind of a slower kind of realization on frost's part that he really has to do his homework instead of a montage um I think directorially it's quite lazy to be honest with you and um but the yeah the thing is though I I I I have I I have been rather negative on the film but I did enjoy it I I'm looking I am looking forward to seeing it again but it's just the fact that it's getting all this awards ten- attention and because it's part funded by the uh, by um working title over here everybody's just like like the news it's just like frost nixon frost nixon and slumdog 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 frost nixon frost nixon you know and it it i don't know it's just all the the positive stuff it's it, it is dragging me down a bit plus the fact i think i could probably name five better films um makes uh that came out last year off the top of my head i'm um i mean i'm not going to do it now just because it will actually um spoil uh some stuff for the next couple of weeks on the show to be honest with you but i have seen one film that i'm reviewing next week that is definitely fucking better than frost nixon but um you'll have to find out about that next week um so yeah i don't know the whole frost nixon thing just annoys me really i think it's good i just get the feeling it's one of those ones that's going to get nominated for a lot and not win many at all and i've got a feeling ben button might be like that as well but hey so that is it for your feedback this week thank you very much to jim and david and i hope to have more next week that's it for cinerama this week thank you very much as always for listening coming up on next week's show uh reviews including david finch's massively oscar nominated the curious case of benjamin button and uh the not as massively but still fairly massively oscar nominated doubt um there might be other stuff as well but i'm not too sure what i'm going to be able to see but those two will definitely be reviewed next week along with the first part of the hitch unseen hitchcock marathon as i'm calling it as i take a look at saboteur also trailer talk hopefully movie news i'm sure listener feedback hopefully and uh yeah 
there you go. So, um, you can email cineramapodcast at yahoo.co.uk. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Ian Loring. You can read me during the week at www.therattle.co.uk. Reviews on iTunes, always muchly appreciated. And I must um, repeat a call that... Um, Mike and Paul on the Chin Stroker versus Punter podcast also did with their uh, their newest episode. If anyone could send me like a screen grab of reviews on the US iTunes and any other iTunes where there are reviews of Cinerama, that would be great because we can't access them in the UK. So I don't know if there's anyone I should be thanking or not. I can only access the ones from with, inside the UK. So if somebody could take a few minutes to do that, that it would be uh, muchly, muchly appreciated. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably going to do it for now. Uh, it's a new month, so votes on Podcast Alley would be awesome also. But until next week, I shall say have a good week, happy movie watching, and take it easy. All right, cheers. Bye-bye. <laughs>